Tag Box Talk, and this is Horse Stories with a Purpose. Who are we? We are equine educators, but we are owners. We are judges. We are competitors. We are coaches. We are volunteers. We are moms. We are horse owners just like you, and we want to share our horse stories with a purpose. Extension Horses Tack Box Talk Series Horse Stories with a Purpose. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Heine with Oklahoma State University, and today we're going to be continuing the story of endurance horses riding at an elite level. So, my special guest today is Dr. Todd Holbrook, who is a professor of equine medicine also here at Oklahoma State University, where he holds the June Jacobs chair. But Dr. Holbrook's connection to the endurance horse world is he has served on the equine panel for our U.S. equestrian team and has traveled with the team. So welcome, Todd. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Dr. Heine. Really excited to figure out how did you ever get involved or become on the official team for the U.S. equestrian team for the endurance area? Well, that's a great question. It's a little bit of a long story, but essentially uh, where I went to vet school in in Georgia at the University of Georgia and a colleague that came to do her internship at Georgia who graduated from NC State. I went to NC State to do my internship after graduating from vet school and we had a common interest in horses and she actually was uh, quite involved in the in the sport. Um, and so when I subsequently returned to Georgia during my residency, our, our uh, collegial relationship continued and she invited me to do, uh, to serve as a treatment veterinarian uh, in North Carolina at the Biltmore estate. And that's one of the more famous endurance rides on the East Coast that's super challenging in the Appalachian Mountains. And um, essentially I was a treatment veterinarian during my residency, probably 1994 or 1995 and kind of got hooked because of the unique conditions that some of these horses can develop when they get in trouble, as far as um, muscle diseases and whatnot, tying up. And um, so that sparked my interest and and I uh, continued to be involved in the sport nationally. And then eventually, I think through reputation and experience and meeting others, I was invited to uh, participate as a, a, a member of the, the USEF veterinary panel group, basically. So you've never then competed or or done endurance yourself? (laughs) That's a funny story. Uh, I have done limited distance, two different rides, uh, but most of my equestrian experience is riding rainers. But I was uh, put into a position one at one point, uh, nearly 20 years ago, I went to examine uh, an elite horse at a, at a ride in, in um, South Georgia and some things happened and the horse couldn't show up, but I had shown up. Uh, and eventually I was spurred to, to get on uh, a mare that uh, was available. And, and uh, so I did a 25 mile uh, limited distance, maybe 20 something years ago. And, and um, at the time, again, I was riding, riding Western performance horses, but very different uh, than a super fast trail ride on, on an Arab, and I couldn't walk down the stairs forward. I had to walk backwards down the stairs for like two weeks. I was oh, like, you're oh. kidding. Oh, yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> uh, but in the in the limited distance uh, scenario, the junior riders, which I would be considered, right, because it's my first ride, you have to be sponsored by um, a sponsor to, to, to kind of show you the, the loop, the 
you know, the whole deal and, and be with you during the ride. And, and so I was riding with another veterinarian uh, who I'd known for a while, and he's a very experienced endurance rider. And I was on this horse that I didn't know. And, and uh, so it was a, it was a good experience, but about mm, three quarters into this 25 mile ride, you know, it's time. You only have so many hours to finish. And uh, I looked at him. I'm like, so how we're doing? And he's like, um, I don't think we're going to make it. And I said, no, yes, 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 we are. And so we, I kicked her up into a lope and, and uh, you know, went into the last check and finished just in the nick of time. And, and her heart rate came down just in the nick of time. So I, I did finish my first one barely on time. And, and her heart rate uh, did meet criteria of 60 by the end. Uh, and then years later, I, um, again, was forced to do it one more time. And I wanted to experience a fast ride at that point. So I was vetting a ride in Oklahoma, actually, um, Dr. Baldwin's uh, ride, who's now passed. But anyway, he, he said, you come vet the ride for me one day and you can ride the next. I'm like, no, no, no. I've done that before. Don't want to do it. <laughs> I said, but is it a fast horse? He's like, yeah, yeah. Got him real fit. I said, okay, okay, I'll do it. So in that one, I um, finished in second place. I would have won based on my time the first day, but I finished in second place on this horse. But still, it was terrible. I couldn't walk it was painful to walk for again for two weeks so it didn't matter to me whether you're slow or fast it's still painful it's just different than than you know competing in a western saddle and doing a four minute raining pattern it's just very yeah. different you know so for for our listeners that haven't done endurance riding then when uh kate talked about all of the conditioning that she would do like hours a day to be able to ride these horses i mean so many people think riding is passive but I guess you're telling us endurance riding is not passive at all. Well, I don't, I, it wasn't for me. <laughs> I mean, certainly, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, the difference between, honestly, the difference between an endurance type English saddle and a Western saddle is very different and the positions that we ride in are very different. Um, so my, my lower back and calves were killing me. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, took, took a lot to get used to, but I'm sure riders that, do exercise and keep their horses fit regularly on on trail or, or you know they have to remain fit and i i listened to your podcast that so was great with uh katie and melody and, and I, I do recall them talking about you know rider fitness being being super important i know from my experience with the uh with our team the u.s team physical exercise amongst riders is super important and, and we often always, at least in my experience, have taken a, a human physiotherapist along with us uh, on the competitions. And, and I've actually had them work on me during during competitions as well. And, and so it's nice to have a uh, human athletic performance, uh, you know, involved with the whole team. Well, let's get back then to your, your main role, uh, other than your catch ride and some endurance horses, um, as a veterinarian for these in- endurance horses. So are you there um, to check all of the horses through the ride or just kind of governing one horse's health? Um, or maybe have you had mixed roles in your capacity? I have had mixed roles. And so initially my experience, again, there's there's kind of multiple roles that you can play as a veterinarian. As a veterinarian. So a treatment veterinarian was where I initially got involved in the sport. And that's a unique aspect of, of this sport, you know, with, with the uh, regulation locally as well as internationally there are defined veterinary roles there are treatment roles there are control judge roles on the line where you examine the horse when they come in from the 
from the loops at a, at a veterinary checkpoint um, in their hold period. Uh, and then essentially other, at the level of FEI, there are multiple other levels of um, veterinary involvement that are, that are more uh, related to regulatory aspects of the, the overall ride. But in general, I've been a treatment veterinarian, a line veterinarian, and then a veterinarian for an individual horse. I've accompanied um, some elite horses to other countries just as their personal veterinarian, where you just play a role you know, with that one horse, kind of like a pit crew uh, supervisor for that individual horse um, behind the scenes. So let me ask you, as your role for a treatment veterinarian then, um, so that I would assume the horse is presented with something that needs to be addressed. So what are the typical issues that you might see? Sure. So as a treatment veterinarian, any ride, uh, whether it's nationally here in the U.S. or, or internationally, there's a, either one treatment veterinarian, if it's a smaller ride, or a group of treatment veterinarians, for instance, at the WEG, you know, in, in an entire hospital. But essentially, horses that come through the veterinary checkpoint, the control judge veterinarians will identify, you know, is this horse fit to continue? Is there a lameness issue? Uh, is this horse metabolically compromised? And if they don't pass that veterinary inspection, then they immediately are required to go to the treatment tent or to that treatment veterinarian. And so, you know, as far as examining a horse on the line, I'm limited to physical exam skills and a stethoscope. Whereas, you know, identify this horse has a problem. I can see that it's lame, but I'm not gonna, in, in that line capacity, judge veterinarian, I'm not going to pull out the hoof testers and start palpating the leg and identify the problem. You know, that horse can't pass the inspection and it moves on to the treatment veterinarian. So what are the most common issues that you would have to address then as the treatment veterinarian? The most common really is lameness. Um, and then outside that, we kind of categorize and group uh, horses that are systemically affected in some way, whether they're, you know, um, showing signs of exhaustion, showing mild signs of colic, showing mild signs of um, tying up or muscle strain, uh, pain. Uh, we tend to group those as metabolic. So in general, you have metabolic issues and then lameness issues. But by and far, uh, foot lamenesses are, are the most common reason for elimination or seeing the treatment veterinarian. If lameness is a common issue that you might see in the treatment tent, what are you able to do for that horse at that immediate time point? So it, it's many times dependent upon regulatory control as far as the time course and, and how much time you have to work with a farrier, for instance. But many times, if I'm in the role of, for instance, a team veterinarian or an individual veterinarian for a horse during competition, I'm watching that horse really, really closely. If I see anything that concerns me, I'm going to look at that horse, examine that foot, make sure there's nothing in the foot, make sure the shoe's not sprung. Then I have a certain time frame to go work with a farrier, bring that horse back before it's presented to a veterinary line for examination. That's that's one scenario. Uh, versus if, if this horse is overtly lame and it goes to the treatment tent, you know, then they can work that that individual up and, and define what the underlying problem is in general. And then metabolic 
disorders, I know on our program we've discussed um, tying up, but but probably a little bit different version of tying up. So we've talked about horses with PSSM that tie up, kind of coming from that Western performance world. Uh, but but you're really talking about a different version of that. Is that correct for an endurance horse? Correct. And usually with endurance horses, we tend to see them tie up in, in two different scenarios. It's a little bit more similar to the thoroughbred on the track. So anxious fillies, anxious mares, anxiety um, can play a role. And we tend to see horses tie up early in the competition. And oftentimes maybe it's cooler weather, you know, cold snap comes in, horses aren't warmed up as well, horses anxious. Uh, they typically develop signs of, of tying up or myopathy within the first 15 miles, I would say, in general, in that scenario. And then we also see a kind of a group of horses that can tie up later in rides associated with exhaustion and also associated with changes in footing. So for instance, you know, the big ride on the East Coast, the Biltmore, I can distinctly remember numbers of, of rides through the years where, you know, thunderstorm boom happens and, and at 75 to 80 miles horses are faced with a muddy trail that they didn't have previously and then they're using their muscles in a different way regardless of their level of fitness and they can have myopathy so that's interesting is that because uh, i never uh, this is my first time of hearing about a, a footing issue i'm familiar with like you know overheating or electrolyte imbalance and then the other sure. ones that are genetic links but the footing is that I guess I'm just thinking if balance is off, you're using some of those muscle fibers that are more the subtle, um, you know, proprioception type of thing. And so are we exhausting different muscle fibers that normally don't get tapped into? Potentially, it certainly, yes. I mean, it, it, you know, this is obviously theoretical, and but, but in my mind, I've thought the same way you just have, you know, that we're using muscles in a different way that in regular training with good footing weren't, weren't used similarly. So you're overstressing muscle groups um, based on balance, probably right. That probably plays a role. Um, well, if there's two of us that agree on that theory, let's just go with it. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> so let me go back to the, the other version um, that we talked about, because this is interesting. Um, so when you talked about the horses tying up more at the beginning, similar to thoroughbreds that the nervous fillies or have a lot of anxiety um, or that, you know, stress hormones might be going because it's a big competition. So to your awareness, is that the same disorder? So with the thoroughbreds where we talk, we'll get a little sciencey here, guys. Um, the recurrent exertional rhabdomyolysis or RER on the thoroughbreds, is that the same thing? Because aren't these horses bred a little bit different? They are bred a little bit different. I will tell you that currently, I don't believe we know the answer, but I will tell you there are, there are lines of Arabians that um, we know have more tendency to tie up. Um, so there's a genetic component to both of those diseases that we still have to scientifically document and determine the exact underlying cause. Um, given that both thoroughbreds and Arabians when we administer medications that impact on calcium uh, metabolism. So dantrolene can be used uh, in, experimentally has been shown in thoroughbreds to impact on the recurrence. 
and anecdotally clinical, my clinical experience and that of other veterinarians in the field, it also works in Arabians. So it may be that change in calcium, you know, calcium metabolism is, in, is involved in the pathogenesis of both forms. So Dr. Holbrook, have you written a grant for this? <laughs> yeah, sure. That'd be, that'd be lovely. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's just kind of interesting, kind of putting the pieces together that if they're going to mimic each other so much, there's probably a similarity in the. There it is. And, and there's some there is some evidence in Arabians of, of some other uh, complex forms of, of myopathy are, are currently being worked out and have been published, but it's pretty recent information. Well, let's go a little bit uh, lighter track now. So I'm curious about your experiences on the traveling side um, with uh, working for the, the U.S. team on the endurance horses. What has that been like being the panel that travels with the horses? Sure. I Honestly, that's part of the job that I really enjoy. And, and initially, when we started this whole, um, when I started being involved, um, the financial benefits were minimal to none and so the biggest benefit was travel and uh, it's really interesting to, to meet other horsemen and horsewomen you know in other cultures and, and um, just a great experience to be able to do that and and represent represent our country to be honest with you uh, it's phenomenal I've been to oh a number of countries more than once Italy twice um, Malaysia twice uh, Chile Dubai France, trying to think, quite a few international um, trips that have been really rewarding uh, and, and made a lot of colleagues, you know, collegial friendships as, as well as uh, amongst uh, other teams and whatnot. It's, it's a really neat sport uh, to be involved in. So, and I guess Kate and Melody gave us a little bit of perspective, you know, the, the U.S. sport compared to that she was talking about Saudi Arabia. And we kind of think of the leaders of endurance horses, but I guess the, the endurance team maybe doesn't get the same press and maybe because of it's the televised version of the regular summer Olympics that the show jumpers and the three-day event horses get. Um, but how do those sports compare, I guess, um, internationally, the endurance horses versus the, the ones that get to have the primetime spots? I think that endurance is a more difficult sport to to um, essentially have you know the venue's huge it's a hundred mile long trail and and as far as a sport that people enjoy watching compared to jumpers or dressage uh, it's like a long marathon race I mean they do you know they do televise the New York Marathon the Boston Marathon and whatnot and uh, you know long bike races you know uh, it would be similar to that so it's a as far as a, a sport that people enjoy observing and watching, it's a, if you don't know much about the sport, it maybe just looks like a bunch of people trail riding. I don't know, but it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's fun to be involved with at the level of competition for sure. But as far as, um, you know, a sport that's televised, it's a little bit tough. And, and I've, I've seen that evolve over time. And, and in other parts of the world, they definitely do find ways to make it you know, marketable by media, and, and um, but we don't tend to see that in in this country, except for at the level of the WEG. So, as a as a veterinarian that's worked with these um, these athletes, and these are pretty elite athletes, if if they're competing um, internationally, do you have any advice for um, you know maybe regular horse owners that might 
want to dip their toe into into something like this, um, especially as you have a sports medicine background and exercise physiology, where would one get started if they want to do this, um, you know, competitively, but keep their horse safe at the same time? Sure. You know, I think opportunities to be involved with mentors are, are the way to start. You know, if you think about your last podcast with, with Melody, and I, if you start out with a good mentor, I think that's the first place. Um, so you can learn about the sport from somebody who has a depth of experience riding locally. And then there are rides locally. If you look at the ride calendar, you know, on the website of AERC, and then then also pull up information about individual rides, you'll often see that there are competitions where there'll be a national AERC sponsored ride with other, uh, with an FEI ride, basically. So there's certain rides across the country that'll have both FEI um, competition groups intermingled, or maybe the next day following an ARC. And if you, you know, if a rider became involved and was exposed to that, especially worked with a mentor that worked in both of those, uh, at both of those levels, I think there, the opportunity is definitely there. You know, the financial uh, requirements as far as FEI competition are much different. And it's not inexpensive to ship a horse overseas. And, and unfortunately, current budgets through U.S. equestrian team, you know, there's there is definitely supplementation and whatnot, but there's still expenses that are incurred by the owner and or the rider. Um, you know, I've, I've seen our experience where young young riders actually set up, you know, GoFundMe accounts and whatnot so they can get support from their local, you know, but it, it's not inexpensive, but the opportunity is very real. And, and um, you know, as honestly, as far as other sports where horse horsemen, horsewomen compete internationally, I think the opportunity is much more achievable in this sport compared to, you know, the necessity to have a $500,000 Grand Prix jumper or something. You yeah. know what I mean? It, yeah. You know, the horse you can, you can define and identify and purchase very good athletes with Arabian lineage that are not that expensive. As far so for as people that have international aspirations, they just need to learn to sit in that saddle a long time. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but otherwise, if people are getting, you know, just interested in the sport, you would really recommend that they attend maybe one of these events and not just like, well, let me see how far I can take my horse um, before something bad happens. Absolutely. Yeah. Because the, the knowledge as a horse rider and, and what can happen with it, uh, extensive exercise and over over exertion is uh very important for them to know not you know to recognize things that can happen before they occur and not push those horses too too far too fast so it takes a long time to build you know to build a horse's base up to where they can compete uh at a higher level uh and that you know that takes a lot of knowledge as a horse person as well now do you ever threaten your reiners with making them be endurance horses if they don't toe the line <laughs> I do have uh, some friends that have ridden quarter horses for many a mile and have uh, long distance awards on quarter horses, so they can do it. They're just not physiologically really built to do it. Threaten some of my horses that, um, you know, I'm going to do this and and, and uh, teach you a few things, but no, I've never done that on quarter <laughs> You've never followed through because you want to be able to walk down the stairs, is Co that right? Correct. You're correct. <laughs> 
Well, Dr. Holbrook, I've really appreciated uh, having you uh, with us. Do you have any other like last thoughts or tips for, for owners um, with the sport of endurance? I think ride smart and take care of your take care of your pony. I mean, they, we ask a lot of them and most of them that do this sport enjoy the heck out of it like we do working in the sport, but you got to take care of them. So the horse's welfare really in this sport to me as a veterinarian, uh, it, it has the most veterinary involvement of any of the other sports or amongst the highest uh, that I've been involved with. And I really um, take pride in, in providing that uh, welfare oversight really. Um, that's important to me. Well, I guess that is uh, pretty unique because you don't think about other sports. Certainly we have veterinary oversight and, you know, if horses are in obvious distress, you know, they'll be removed from a, from a show competition, but we sure. don't have that same like regular methodical checks throughout a competition that these endurance horses have. Right. And a three day would probably be the next closest, but, you know, I think it, as far as endurance, I, I believe it's the most regulated and, and should be for the horse's welfare. Well, I, again, really appreciate uh, your time with us today. And this has been our Tech Box Talk, Horse Stories with a Purpose.